My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Answer. The Beginning. suspicion and my name is rena oh so well done welcome rena yay we're so excited to have you i am super excited to be here you are our number one commenter on our site it's really an honor to have you here do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience with animorphs i would love to um so i am also a long-term animorphs fan i started reading them right about the animorphs age so in my early teens probably 13, 14, maybe, maybe 14, yes. 15. Um, oh, yes, you were my age group. Yes, I was not the kind of person who read books out of order. I was the Ooh. kind of person who started with book one and went through in exact order. And if a, the library didn't have a book, I would go to the bookstore and buy that book so that I could continue reading <laughs> yeah, in order. Yeah, that was my affliction too. Um, yeah, that's No, that's impressive. I... I was so desperate for them and somehow didn't think that I had the ability to go to a bookstore. I don't know. I was 13. I didn't have any money or the ability to drive. It was was tough. I mean, I didn't necessarily buy the books at the bookstore. (laughs) The the bookstore might have been a version of the library for me. I see. Excellent. Mm, Resourceful. (laughs) I like it. I try. Marco would approve. Oh, yeah. Do you have any like favorite characters? Like, oh yes, favorite Marco. Books that we've had. Oh, Marco perfect. is my favorite. <laughs> Do you identify with him? No, actually, I identify most okay. with Jake. Um, oh, okay. Probably like as like an older sibling, I find his sort of leadership and like watching out for others very familiar. But I love mm-hmm. Marco's sense of humor, and I always, yes. I think it has had a lot of influence on my own sense of humor. And this book is one of those books with the humor. Yes. That really yes. made me love Marco. It's so good. Yes, I love Wait, Marco. Wait, so did you have book. other Animorphs fans uh, reading along with you growing up? I did not. Or... I was all alone. Oh, so how did you I discover you. like Animorphs fandom? So, um, well, a couple of months ago, so I'm an audiobook narrator, and oh wow, I'm a very that's so cool. I'm a very fledgling audiobook narrator, um, and a couple months ago, I realized you know I'm between contracts, but I really need a lot more practice and need something to like work on and it was like hey you know i remember animorphs books and like it's been a while since i've looked at them and it would be really fun to read those because they're short and the chapters are short and they have lots of characters and it would be fun to just read those and upload them online so i did that and then somebody offered to put me on this podcast website that had a list of all the animorphs podcast and i was like oh that would be really cool that's really awesome and i wanted to go and look wow look at all these podcasts and animorphology was like the number one on the list because it's first alphabetically. (laughs) And I was like, well, let's check this out. And so that's how I found you guys. And it all came full circle. And it's been really wonderful to to actually interact with fandom, you know, however many years later. I love it. Yeah, that's kind of been a little bit like Ted in my experience, too, because like we weren't really involved with Animorphs fandom before we started the podcast. Gray is still not allowed to be involved with Animorphs fandom. No. Your day will come, Gray. Nothing happens after book 24. Exactly. <laughs> I also am not allowed to read the comments on the website. Mm. So I know that you do comment, and I am so excited that you do, but I have never read them. Okay. Well, I've 
just so you know, I have tried to keep my comments spoiler free. I can't guarantee any that's other true. people, yeah, but my comments are spoiler free. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the only time I went to check the comments was before, I don't know, it was relatively recently, and someone had put at the top of part of their comment, like, don't let Gray read this. And I was like, all right, everything is a minefield. I'm logging off. <laughs> but see, they were warning you. Was... They were, which is very kind. So should we uh, get some first impressions of this book? Post suspicion. I'm so excited to talk about this book. (laughs) Yes. I really love this book. It's got a great sense of humor, especially coming after the David trilogy, which was really dark. I feel like this book is a very welcome break. You sort of forgot that Animorphs could do this. It's been a while since book 14. Yes. It mostly, so far, has pretty much only done it with female narrators. Yep. This is something I was going to yep. bring up. Yeah. Even though, again, it would have been great from Marcus's point of view. Yes. That is so true. Wow. Missed opportunity. <laughs> yes. Huh. All right. So, great. What did you think? This book is so silly. <laughs> I loved it. I like the silly ones. I find them entertaining and sweet. <laughs> and this one cracked me up. Also, weirdly, I did not predict this. <laughs> so weird. It was so obvious. Yes. <laughs> what else could you use an anteater for? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great point. Ant-sized aliens. I I never would have guessed. Uh, yeah, no, it's just silly. I liked it. It was a return to, like, silly and no consequences. Like, at one point, yeah. Cassie's like, it's a good thing my parents weren't here to see this. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm just Yeah, it is a good thing. And then, like, the whole ending is a big hand wave. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it. Yeah. All right. Do you want to summarize the book? Yes, I do want to summarize the book. So it turns out that after the David trilogy, Cassie took the morphing cube and hid it in her yard under this like old metal pump. And one day she and Rachel notice a toy spaceship stuck to the side of that pump. It's obviously just a toy, so they donate it to Goodwill. Uh, And then a second spaceship shows up and flies away. So they realize it might be worth investigating. They head off to Goodwill. They find the spaceship and then they get into a fight with it. And the spaceship shoots them with some tiny Dracon beam type things that sting them, but only a little bit. And then they realize that the blue box is a sort of power source for the spaceships. So there's a air battle between the Animorphs in their bird form and the spaceships. Um, it turns out that the spaceships are run by a race called the Helmicrons a warlike, insect-like species that are very tiny and say, neep, 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 (laughs) which was my favorite thing. Um, The Helmicrons use a shrink ray to shrink Cassie and then Marco and Tobias. Uh, They are now the size of 1 16th of an inch, which we will discuss, but that is so darn small. Cassie and Marco uh, surrender to the Helmicrons to protect Jake and the others, and Cassie realizes the Helmicrons can detect morphing power. So she sends them off to find Visser 3, which is a great idea. Um, sort of. We'll discuss. Yeah. There's a whole chase sequence. They Cassie realizes they can potentially morph into a normal-sized animal, even though if they morph while tiny into morphs they already have, those morphs are also tiny and therefore not very helpful. Um, so she has them all dropped off on an anteater. She tries to eat the Helmicrons. <laughs> There's a whole hostage scene where... Visser 3 is also tiny. It's all very, very silly. They find a truce with Visser 3 in order to fight off the Helmicrons. Bully the male Helmicrons. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. (laughs) I told you this this whole This summary is great, but how... 
what would the Helmicrons have to be like in order for the Animorphs in Visser 3 to unite to fight them? Very annoying. Incredibly annoying. So annoying that they team up <laughs> in order to fight the Helmicrons. There are many very funny things. Those are in my notes, so I didn't want to like read them off now. But yeah, Visser 3 is like, you guys, these... These Helmicrons are so annoying. Surely we can band together <laughs> in order to fight them. And the Animorphs are like, yeah, that seems right. And then they try that for about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then instead, Visser 3 decides to fight the Animorphs. Actually, the Somewhat Animorphs they run away. their truce. <laughs> they run away. Visser 3 chases them instead of the Helmicrons. Uh, then they bully the male Helmicrons into de-shrinking them. Everyone lives to fight another day. Except probably all the Helmicrons. We'll talk about it. <laughs> it's so goofy. It's okay. The, Hel- the Helmicrons are fungible, so you kill some, and their personalities right, are more. Let's talk about Helmicrons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Let's talk about the word fungible, which I totally thought was fungal <laughs> up until this last year. That's probably and what I did not I realize that this. fungible was a completely this was different word. My first exposure to the word fungible. Yeah, I think maybe I found out what it meant because the text sort of defined it. Yeah, you're like, oh, that's what it means. I mean, it worked for fungal, too. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, you have to kill all the mushrooms or the mushrooms will come back. So clearly Helmicrons work the same way. I didn't realize it was like... I mean, presumably it has the same root, right? Yeah, you weren't you weren't all wrong. Well, so the Helmicrons thing is they have... They're small, but they're fierce. They have swagger. Oh, they know do that they, they ever have swagger? The, the true rulers of the galaxy. Yes. And they Part do not my- hesitate. To say it at every opportunity. <laughs> a thing that I also loved was at the beginning of most chapters, the Helmicrons are reporting back to their captain or something, and it's all about how great they are. Uh, oh, almost high and tremendous. Uh, here's all the great things we did this chapter, and it is very funny, and I liked it a lot. And one of my favorite things about that is that the two Helmicron ships, the Galaxy Blaster and the Planet Crusher, Bear in mind, these are like three-inch spaceships, have a fierce rivalry where they just put down the other one at every turn. So it's one of the one of the chapter headers is, Most omnipotent leader, we have located the fools of the Galaxy Blaster. They have allowed themselves to be taken by the large aliens of this planet. But your loyal ship, Planet Crusher, will destroy all who stand in our way and will save that other unworthy ship. So they might, perhaps by mere accident, serve your great will. <laughs> <laughs> But then, as soon as the other ship dies, they do a total about <laughs> yeah. face. They're, they're like the noble the, ship. The, the noble heroes. Which is all part of their um, sort of religion, which is as long as one is alive, one can make mistakes. And therefore, the only good ruler is a dead ruler mm-hmm. who, by definition, cannot make any mistakes. Right. <laughs> and so, in order to become the captain of a ship, they apparently kill someone in a sort of ritual sacrifice, and yep. then that dead Helmicron is the captain of the ship. It's very gross and very weird. That's just like, that's one, I mean, there's so many funny things about the Helmicrons, but the idea that like, uh, they're just like, okay, why is your captain dead? And the Helmicrons are like, duh, the captain's dead so that they can never make a mistake. I can just imagine Jake being like, you know what, they're not wrong. That's not a you have to wonder, though, like, how does one get promoted to captain? Like, hmm, you've made 10 mistakes today. Clearly, you're going to make more. You're the worst person on the bridge. You can be the captain. Right. And we do see the Helmicrons killing each other. Yeah, and most people yeah. don't become captains, I assume. But Well, there's this great thing where uh, Marco and Cassie are talking, are captive, and they're talking to this male Helmicron, which we'll get into. And, uh, and... 
they're like, so we have to stay here? And he's like, yes, if you fail to obey the rules, you may be killed. In fact, you may even be made captain. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that. See, that's just like, it's just a dumb joke. It doesn't make any sense. I love like, it so much. You know, once someone is dead, you can just, you know, completely whitewash everything they've done. They they were your enemy before, whatever. Now they're this noble. Right. You don't have to worry about what they're I guess it's like once do. the current captain is like once he gets too, too decomposed. Moldy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the one that they <laughs> see is really moldy. I actually I love they're probably the, like, gonna replace him. Sort of like gothic her. horror of yeah, the, the female captain in a, bread mold, a gold cape covered in and bread mold, cobweb. stabbed through with three ritual swords. It's amazing. <laughs> so gross. And also, there's the bit where they do a hostage negotiation, and Jake's like, oh, we have their leaders. And Marco and Cassie are like, you fools! All their leaders are dead, and Tobias is like, is like what now? My favorite Helmicrons moment is also a good Cassie moment in this book. It's initially when they are trying to like negotiate over the blue box, and Cassie's approach is like, She's kind of like the Helmicrons have all this bluster and she's like, Helmicrons, what are you going to do? Your lasers are like a little bit annoying, but they're not that bad. And so she's kind of like threatening them a little bit, but it's kind of like a pity threat. She's like, come on, your weapons don't hurt us. Aren't we kind of big for you to conquer? And like this sets them off and they're like, ha, you glory in your swollen, bloated bulk, human. You dare to defy us coming soon on the CW. <laughs> we shall see how bold you are when you are the same size as we. Now you will taste bitter defeat. Now you will feel the sting of eternal humiliation. And Cassie's like, I don't glory in my... Hey, who are you calling bloated? Wait, what's going on? And she starts shrinking. That's the funniest thing. Oh, I also love how their swagger interacts with Marco's humor. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. It was really incredibly enjoyable. For example, uh, they say to Marco and Cassie, Aha, you see our might and tremble. I see your might. Where's your tremble, Marco said. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite so jokes. It's a good joke. <laughs> the Helmicrons stared with their wobbly marble eyes. Oh no, we're cr- prisoners of creatures with no sense of humor, Marco said. <laughs> Marco's worst nightmare. Well, so what do you guys make of the that Cassie and Marco are the ones that end up with the Helmicrons? Cassie's the narrator, right? Right. She mostly plays like a... A straight woman. Role. Yeah, she's it's a but it's a pretty. She has a couple of role. funny things where she tries to manipulate them, but it's mostly like Marco playing off of them. I feel like Cassie's books. So I've observed before they tend to alternate between very silly and like very serious philosophical, weighty moral things. The and nine I feel does like have a very silly ending. That's true. That's true. But I feel like with Cassie, they only have two modes. It's like, it is like the most serious story we could possibly tell. And they don't want to do that every five books. So they don't always do that. Um, but if they aren't telling that story, they're like, oh, wait, we have no idea what story to tell for Cassie. Let's give her a silly one. That's interesting. <laughs> Which, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, she's a perfectly fine narrator for that. I totally understand why they put Marco with her. Like, that mm-hmm. is obvious. You can't have Marco not making these jokes. Yeah. yeah. There's also a bit about um, Cassie's planning ability comes out again, Mm. which I thought was great. I mean, she has all these ideas. She knows how to execute them. There's a great spot where where Marco says to her that the plan that she's come up with is just so sneaky. I didn't know you had it in you, which is so interesting, not least because... She came up with the whole plan for David. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. I feel like this is just a continuity error. By this mm-hmm. point, Marco should know. Yeah. Right? She's very sneaky. Maybe and he just wasn't able to integrate it with his view of Cassie. Could be. 
But also the the way I feel like it's a little bit of a retcon of how Cassie feels about David overall because they do mention the David books, right? Yeah. She acknowledges it, but more it's like the plot of like how did we get the blue box back, right? So what she says is like, oh, a kid named David found it. We used it to make him an anamorph. He hadn't handled the power well, and he was a rat, literally. Now, Ooh. right? And then he would live a rat, die a rat, and then she just says it wasn't something I liked thinking about. Right? Yeah, that like, doesn't feel very Cassie. Like, I you think, think she has that, trouble not thinking about right, that. Right, right, right. You think, you know, Cassie from Book 19 would have been like, oh, no, like, reliving all the choices that she made. Yeah. You know, speaking of Cassie from Book 19, I was thinking it was also interesting in the opening, like, uh, opening chapter where I was just talking about the backstory of Yerkes and everything like that, is how she refers to Yerkes as a disease and like talks about yeah. like how horrible they are, and it was like this is also doesn't sound like Cassie from Book Nineteen, who learned right. that at least Aftran wasn't like the worst Yerk ever. Right? Yeah. How can you call Aftran a disease? I, I yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Really good point. Yeah, this feels very like they wanted to just have a light book, and so they kind of forgot about all of the things that they had yeah. put into place. Which, listen, I like the lighthearted books. Me too. I find them deeply entertaining. But it does feel as though it doesn't match the other books. Well, it kind of makes you wonder, like, if it's, you know, for that one random reader who happens to pick it up out of order, it's like, okay, you have to establish that the Yerks are definitely the bad guys. So, like, the Alliance later Mm -hmm. maybe seems a lot more, like, you really have to believe that this is an unlikely alliance between them and Visser 3. And so you have to make the Yerks as the really bad guys, like, right from the start, because the Yerks, for the most part, are not the antagonists of the book at all. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and even Mister Three doesn't really do anything particularly horrifying. And, yeah. But there's another. There's another thing when Mister um, Three is introduced. Cassie's like, "Oh, Mister Three in his limo. You know, like he probably liked it, it dark so that people couldn't see him. But who knows what creepy stuff he does behind those doors, right? It's like again, it's kind of unnecessary to put that in there, except to remind people that, that hey, Mr. actually Mister Three is a bad guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though he's the worst, especially because we did just get Herpjer Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, I had a, a Cassie section of my notes and there was like nothing in it. I had like three notes. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the Cassie versus Rachel approach to dealing with the Helmicrons is Cassie tries to talk to them <laughs> and Rachel tries to hit them with a baseball bat. I loved how many times a, Rachel successfully hit the Helmicron ships with things. Yeah, it's, it's a, a brick. She hits them with a, a brick. brick. And then um, later she hits it with something else and then Jake puts it in the vice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> so, like, that's very Cassie. Yeah, um, Rachel smashed it with a tire iron. And then <laughs> I I do think Cassie's live to fight another day thing is very Cassie. when Because mm-hmm. Cassie and Marco are really small, and it's, like, really chaotic. And I think Axe was a spider whose legs get cut off by the Helmicrons. That's and true, And so then, yeah. like, Axe can't demorph without crushing them, and Cassie's, like hey, we'll live to fight another day. Why don't we just go with the Helmicrons for now? Yeah. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, Rachel might have been, like, or even Jake or Marco, like, fight, fight, fight. Although, weren't they underneath a cage? Just what? logistically. I think the cage was on a table. So when she sees the cage getting larger, I think they're under it. Mm. Yeah, because they can't have moved very far once they shrunk. Because yeah. they can't maybe move ever. very far. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a line like we were really booking it. We were going maybe two, two miles, in a, <laughs> two feet a yeah, two feet an hour. And then Cassie is like, "Oh, Helmicrons, make us your slaves. You know, we'll do whatever you want, right?" Of course, Marco makes it a joke right away. But the idea to like just like the Helmicrons are so easy to manipulate, even more easy to manipulate than David was or anyone Ooh, else, right? Like, 
because they're basically they're basically morons. <laughs> yes. I I do think that the way that they surrender is it's oh, yeah. so funny. It's is this the groveling? It is the groveling. The groveling is my favorite. I love Marco's grovels. It's so good. So they've... they've <laughs> this is also a great... I mean, it's so funny. It's a great Marco and Cassie contrast. I was going to say, Jenny, I hope that your the winds of your Marco and Cassie ship are sailing strong <laughs> after this book. Um, I don't know how you can read this and not love them together. It's so funny. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there wasn't, like... There wasn't that much interpersonal stuff between, like, a little bit. Oh, I don't know. There it wasn't. Is. Okay, we'll get, we'll there. get Let's into talk it. about the funny stuff before the heartfelt <laughs> stuff. So Cassie has surrendered to the Helmicrons. They've been taking on board the Helmicron ship. This is the prisoners of creatures with no sense of humor bit. They're and before then, the dead captain, right? They're before the dead captain, and the Helmicrons say, grovel before the captain. Marco, Marco looked at me. How do you grovel? I've never groveled before. <laughs> And Cassie says, I, I don't know how. I mean, you know, different folks, different customs. Maybe you could show us. And Helmicron says, you may grovel in the style of your own people. Grovel as you normally grovel. And Marco, who is Marco, scooted his legs forward, lay on his back, stuck his hands behind his head, and relaxed like he was at the beach soaking up the sun. And then he continues to... <laughs> yeah, you got to just read it all. It's just, I'm just priceless. It okay. He says, I grovel before the mighty Helmicron captain, most mighty of the mighty, undisputed champion of the world in the dust weight category. We grovel like the pitiful losers we are. We grovel like a guy who hasn't got a date the day before prom and the only girl around is the head cheerleader. That's how much we grovel. Uh, Cassie, you could join in at any time, you know. We grovel um, like grovelers, Cassie says. <laughs> Marco turned turned his head to shoot me a disdainful look. Oh, good groveling. Put some feeling into it. Cassie says, I, I grovel like, uh, like a person who is really, really groveling. <laughs> Meanwhile, Marco was, of course, getting into it. After all, he had an audience. Oh, mighty Helmicron dead guy. We grovel like a video game addict trapped in an arcade without a quarter. That's how much we grovel. You would not believe the depths of our grovelry. We grovel like a guy with a large order of fries and the only salt shaker is at the table of the school bully. We grovel... And then they cut him off. It's worth having Marco as the other person in the book just for this scene. Grovelry. So why is Cassie so good at serious emotional manipulation, but not good at playing along with a stupid, silly bluff like this? <laughs> I'm reminded of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 from book 14. <laughs> I think, well, she's a bad liar, but I think also she's just not very creative on her feet like this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't take any creativity to just sort of like play into some, someone's emotional It's a different needs. type of yeah. creativity. Yeah. I also think we've seen that she doesn't have a great sense of humor. Yeah, like she has she's a little bit serious. of a sense of humor, but she's nice a very neat. serious person. Right. Yeah, she doesn't get it. <laughs> she's not. She's a lovely person. She's just not very funny. Yes. So I think the sort of putting her on the spot to make a joke is not going to be good for. And Cassie. she doesn't perform well for an audience. Mm-hmm. No, like Marco, Marco like comes to life for the audience, and she like kind of freezes up. Yes, I noticed in this book. Less of the Cassie and Marco relationship and more of what we talked about in the last one, uh, in the last book, where Marco and Rachel have a kind of sub-routine oh, going yeah. where it's they just so mock good. each other all the time. It's so funny. It's like, Jake, Axe, don't come in here when they've just been hit with a shrinking ray. <laughs> Rachel, you can come in here. <laughs> Tobias is like, Marco, 
Rachel turns it back on him, she was like, unshrink my friends. And Marco, too. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's such a good comeback. Yeah, I feel like they've really settled into a high-quality dynamic here. Yeah. There's also... I don't know. Are we going to talk relationships? Should we let's do talk, relationships? Let's just talk okay. relationships. There's a lot of Cassie Jake stuff going on here. Oh, yeah. sweeties. Yeah, yes. You'd think they'd be past this by now. <laughs> They've been very distracted by saving the world, so they haven't, you know, managed to see each other in swimsuits yet. Um, but yeah, so there's some good Rachel Cassie stuff, too. Rachel drags Cassie to the beach. Mm-hmm. And they come back, and Jake's waiting at the house, and Cassie is wearing her swimsuit, and Jake, like, looks at her, like, is staring at her face and, like, looks down at her body and, like, blushes and then, like, looks at her face. And, and Cassie's like, he thinks I look dumpy. And Rachel's like, you're <laughs> such an idiot. That is not what that look means. <laughs> and then at the end of the book, he's like, so uh, I thought we might go to the beach tomorrow. <laughs> and I think Rachel's like, Cassie doesn't like the beach. And Cassie's like, no, no, I love the beach. Let's go to the beach. <laughs> there was also... Um, when Cassie is shrunk, there was an amazing description of Jake. Oh, yeah. Please read. That's, <laughs> that's like the best. His face lay sideways. It was about as high as a 30-story building. His eyes were like brown and white swimming pools, huge globes that looked as if they might pop and drain down like runny jello. His mouth was a valley. His nostrils were caves. When he breathed out, it nearly knocked Tobias out of the air. And when he sucked in a pained inhalation, it was like being near a vacuum cleaner. I stared up, transfixed by this face I'd always found attractive, and I found myself staring at a zit bigger than I was. I have an important question about this book. (laughs) Yes. How can so much of it be so gross? (laughs) The authors have a gift. It's constantly disgusting. So wait, Jenny, does this gross you out more than a morphing description? or Um, The thing where his eyes might pop and run down like runny jello was grosser than the morphing description. Probably, yeah. Yes. Good. They got you you at some point. So gross. I don't know. How do you feel about the morphing descriptions, Rena? Do you find them... Are you more of a gray camp or me camp? I never found them disgusting at all, like in any book. And I never found the covers disgusting. I don't know if that's just because of my speed with reading. I tend to scan through stuff really quickly, especially Mm -hmm. when I was younger. So I might not have actually read the descriptions very thoroughly when I was a kid. I was just like, oh, yeah, they're morphing and like, oh, yeah, there's a couple cool things and just move on from there and just get to the good stuff. Yeah, I feel like it just didn't really register with me that much either. And, and I mean, now I guess I hear Grey Reader. Yeah, like now that you, I can uh, see it, like why they would be out loud. disturbing to some people, but I still find them more interesting than anything. Good. Okay. All right. Kindred spirits there's, here. There's also a great moment in this book where Cassie gives one of those horrifying morphing descriptions. I think it's when they're maybe turning into birds at the Goodwill. Mm-hmm. And then, so she gives this like really, really horrifying description. And then she's like, yeah, but you know, it's amazing what you get used to, I guess. And then contrasts it with all of their like banter and like chatter about different things. With Marco being like, well, they're small. What can they do? And like, Rachel's oh, yeah, just yeah. like, let's go, let's go. So the Animorphs are over it, too. Mm-hmm. At least they recognize, at least Cassie recognizes that it is disgusting. It's just so icky. We get also the amazing, they're really small on Axe when he morphs oh, um, yeah. from Andalite to Bird. Yes. Which is like horrifying in a new way because it's like, like the the ground is like moving beneath them and turning to liquid and like the feathers yeah, that are popping was out. The coolest description, I think. An escalator off the end of the world mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. I was really intrigued by the thing where the feather patterns first were like etched in and had depth and then popped out. Like that feels really counterintuitive to me. 
Like you would think they would have, they'd be like slightly raised and then pop out, but no, they were like indentations. Yeah, that whole section was also real icky because they're on, as he's morphing, his body begins to melt and shrink and run together. The hand we were on uh, was ceasing to exist. It was like we were standing on molasses. The skin beneath us and around us melted slowly together. It ran beneath our feet, a slow-moving, sludgy river. <laughs> oh, it's just yeah. so yucky. There was okay. one other description that jumped out at me. Uh, a little bit gross, but also just like, even in this book, they managed to do a good like Horrors of War bit, which is when they're small enough, um, they morph flies from their 16th of an inch mm-hmm. human selves. Mm-hmm. And so they're... <laughs> perceiving things at the cellular level, which we can get into. But um, they see the Helmicrons get destroyed by a Yurk Dracon beam while they're on a Helmicron, and Mm -hmm. it's just the worst, right? So we get this, like, description of what Dracon beams are. Um, So, you know, the Andalite Shredder came first, the Yurks developed Dracon beams, which are specifically modified to destroy more slowly. The Yurks want their enemies to feel the agony of cells exploding. And now, standing there on cells whose molecules vibrated beneath our fly feet, we saw the line of destruction advance. Cells erupted, exploding like mini geysers, swelling with steam, blowing nuclei and mitochondria and flaming cytoplasm like shrapnel. It's like, thanks, animals. So here's a question. So in the Harbinger Chronicles, we saw the period of time when the Yerks were adapting technology from Andalite technology to their own. Yeah. Now... It doesn't make sense to me, this whole thing, like, the Yerks deliberately did this to cause extra pain. Like, it doesn't make sense to me that they're like, okay, here we have this perfectly usable technology that kills people very effectively. I know, in the middle of all this other development we're doing, when we presumably have a lot of other priorities for our energy, let's change this so it hurts more. Like, I mean, that's just, that's so cartoonishly evil. We talked about, like, just evil for the sake of being evil. Like, it doesn't even make sense to me. Like, does getting killed with a shredder not destroy their enemies enough? Like, why would they bother? It sounds like propaganda when you put it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's probably just that they have trouble mass producing them, and so they've Mm. made them, like, slightly less efficient. Or they didn't know exactly how the Andalites made them, and so when they made a model, it just didn't work as well. Like, that sounds so much more probable. Given that their information about uh, Dracon beams probably comes from Axe, who, as an Andalite, knows all the Andalite propaganda, (laughs) I'd say there's definitely... Probably some misinformation in there. Yeah, exactly. It feels, yeah, Cassie says it as if it's fact, but I don't think it is. Right. It's and also another one of those Yerks are bad. Yeah, moments. and she doesn't, she's not questioning that. Yeah. Do we want to do more relationship stuff before we move on? I have a lot right. of thoughts about shrinking. Okay, well, let's, no, we have to have a whole science corner, but okay. I well, do want to talk about Cassie and Marco some more. Okay. Um, so they have this, first they have this joke that like now we're the only two tiny people in the world. Um, so maybe we have to repopulate. Okay, whole... they don't have the joke. Marco has the joke. Marco by himself, <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> unsolicited. But she's like, "Okay, how are we going to escape? How are we going to survive?" And Marco's like, obviously deep in thought, "If we were small like this permanently, we could grow old, have kids, populate the world with a new race of <laughs> tiny people." Right, right. No, no, no. So it's great. It's great because it's so funny. And Cassie's just like, "Marco, it's time to get serious." And then he's like, "Fine." He like he doesn't. Cassie's, like, so not... She doesn't react to his shtick that he just turns it off and he's like, okay, let's get down to business and do logistics. Let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. Um, It's great that you set them after Mr. 3, but they're crazy, so we have to get out of here. We can't, (laughs) like, try and, like, do a really complicated plan here. Yeah. Um, But then, 
Yeah, so their dynamic is great. And then after that like horrible bit where the thing is getting disintegrated in their flies, Marco and Cassie find each other in a fly embrace as they that was get very through sweet. the air. That's strange. Um, Cassie, Cassie says, I was clutching tight to a fly thinking its foul body was all the salvation in the world. Um, and then they realize in this chaotic moment, they don't really know where they are. They can't see anything because they're flies, but they have to start demorphing. Mm-hmm. And Marco's like, we can't demorph, we'll get hit. And Cassie's like, I'll go first. And Marco's like, don't go all heroic on me. If we're going to get uh, hit, we'll get hit together. Aww. So That was a great Marco moment. Yeah, they've like, they've really, they, they bond a lot in this, yeah. in this really weird, unique experience that has never happened. And then when Cassie goes back to Jake at the end, Marco expresses <laughs> some regret. He's like, there, there goes our plan to repopulate the world with tiny people. <laughs> yeah, he, what he says is, Marco shook his head in a parody of sadness. Fine, Cassie, run back to Jake now that you're all big again. <laughs> She's only four foot something, incidentally. Here's my problem with Marco and Cassie. Much as I I love some of the things that they they each bring to the other, like Cassie isn't going to engage with Marco's humor. And I feel like he really needs that in in a partner. I feel like Rachel does engage with his humor in a way that he needs, but Rachel doesn't bring the like compassion that Marco needs to like be a better person. What he needs is a combination of those traits. Jake. Mm. Oh my god. Not, oh no. Unfortunately, it's not Axe, what you described. Yeah, that's kind of true. I was going to say, does Axe have those things? But no, Jake. He's Jake, like the yeah. opposite of both things. Axe, yeah, Axe is kind of the opposite of both things. You literally it. cannot appreciate the humor or relate to him compassionately as a human. <laughs> okay, yeah, I might. I, all right, I'm still up in the air on the ships here, but you know, it. I can see why he has a thing for Jake. <laughs> Rena, where do you fall on these ships? Do you have opinions based on the first 24 books? I definitely did not notice any of these possible alternate ships when I was younger. <laughs> so I think it's been really interesting to like come back as an adult and like hear other people's or hear you guys' theories on it and like just kind of look into between the lines what's what could be there and what is not there. Oh, yeah. Marco's definitely into Jake, even though, I mean, that's clearly not. Jake is not into him. I'm still holding out hope for Marco Nax, though. Oh, I had a good uh, Ra- one Rachel Tobias relationship moment. Mm. So Tobias, poor, poor Tobias, sidelined once again. It's rough. <laughs> he gets shrunk to amazingly the exact same size as them. So he's a giant red-tailed hog from a small Cassie yes. and Marco's perspective. <laughs> and um, by giant, we mean a sixteenth of an inch tall. Right, right, right. But so, but then. He doesn't get to go on the adventure. I don't remember why, but that like because he can fly away, so he doesn't have to. Get right, taken right, right. He just flies yeah. away, and so um, at one point, Cassie's looking back and can see Rachel with a tiny <laughs> Tobias perched on her shoulder, yes. which to me is the cutest thing. There were a few. Oh, Rachel and Tobias, just the automatic like Rachel is always the person for Tobias. There was there was that thing. There was um, when they're flying back to the to Cassie's farm and they're all looking for Tobias. It's Rachel who spots him. Uh, when Tobias gets taken by Visser Three at the end, ah, Tobias cried. Tobias, Aww. Rachel screamed. Like mm. she's just always the one reacting to that. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, we also got a lot of good Rachel and Cassie interactions at the beginning of this book, where um, we see their oppositeness again and. Uh, Cassie accuses Rachel of being like the undead, only you're the undirty. Oh, yeah, that part's <laughs> like, Does great. dirt even stick to you? 
And Rachel refuses to let her tell. Well, she throws she throws dirt at her. Rachel catches it out of the air, and then Cassie's like, "Show me your hands." And Rachel's like, "No, no." <laughs> and then there was the we spent a couple hours at the beach. I have never been so bored in my life. I'm sorry, but I basically hate the beach. Still, Rachel enjoyed it, and she is my best friend. Oh, like, I love what it. What an interesting friendship where they seem to have no activities in common, as we've observed, but yet they're so important to each other. Yeah. I'm totally on board with it. The books have sold me on their friendship. Speaking of all these um, character interactions, I suppose this section goes more in like the funny stuff. But one of my favorite moments of the whole book is like between Axe and Rachel when they first are fighting with the Helmicrons. <laughs> and they're kind of sort of insulting each other, but also like yelling at the Helmicrons and then like everyone's this back and forth dialogue. So would it be okay if I read it? Kind of like... In character voice. Do it. Oh, yeah. oh, please, please do. Oh, I'm really excited now. Okay. Helmicons, Axe said patiently. If you are capable of spaceflight, you must also understand the fundamental laws of motion. Her weapon has a mass as great as the mass of your ship. It will be thrown at a velocity that will... Do not lecture us on physics, you inferior human! <laughs> I am not an inferior human. I am an Andalite. Hey! Rachel said. Sorry. Axe said, I didn't mean to say that humans are inferior. We will crush you, Andalite! All Andalites will grovel before us! <laughs> Not if my friend Rachel hits you with the dense oblong cube she is holding. It's a brick, Axe! It's called a brick! <laughs> we build houses out of them! Perhaps you should not mention that fact, Axe said in an aside. The Helmicrons are already contemptuous of humans. Okay, I have had enough of this battle of the alien egos here. I'm counting to three. Then I'm throwing this brick. You little insects either fix my friends and Marco too, or you get bricked. Do you dare threaten us? <laughs> One, travel before the might of the Helmicrons. Two, two, two. Ah, Rachel cried. The other ship, it's back. Jake yelled, look out. And then it goes on from there. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my God, that was so good. Also, I was, I was, I meant to ask, how do the Helmicrons sound in your head? But now that's exactly how. Yes, it's the perfect. It's so, so perfect. I love also, like, they're talking via thought speech, and yet they're still, like, mm-hmm. tiny and squeaky. It's great. Well, and the way they print the tiny words in the book, where, and then she's like, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, they couldn't hear us. Actually, if we were to print it, like, the correct proportion, you wouldn't even be able to see it. We need Microsoft, <laughs> right. microscopic print. Yeah, breaking the, the fourth wall there a little bit. Right before that scene, they, Cassie and Marco have been shrunk, as is Tobias, and they're, they've just figured out that something's gone wrong. And Jake says, Rachel, get a brick. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good... It's the so new good. get Rachel. Get Rachel. Much funnier. Rachel, Rachel, get a, get brick. a brick. Yes, much funnier. <laughs> there was an interesting line from Cassie about Jake. Um, she said, are Jake, very cute and are very... very cute and very fearless leader, which like clearly they're just like, oh, here's a relationship. It's a thing. Very cute. But like that she called him very fearless. Was she being tongue in cheek? Like she knows that is not true. Like it was interesting that like. Oh, I think it's a I think it's a cover for how cute she thinks. OK, OK. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, introductions in the first chapter of a silly book. You've got to. Yeah. And fearless leader is like a set phrase. Yeah. yeah. It could um, also be just that, you know, because she likes him, so she sees his strengths a lot. So she sees the way that even though he might not be 
uh, the most fearless of the group, perhaps. Like she sees how how well he takes the responsibility of being leader, mm. and you know gives him a lot of credit for that. And so you know he he fearlessly steps up to the plate. Yeah, and she doesn't want to just yeah. say he's he's just a pretty face. Right? So she has to boost his other qualities. Yes, and it might be yeah okay because I was thinking of the conversation they had in sixteen where he's like no no I'm afraid of stuff and I cannot show it I'm like I can't do that that's not what people want out of their leader so maybe she's sort of tipping her hat to that like mm-hmm. you know he manages to hide his fears kind of thing I don't know I'm probably reading too much into that I just thought it was interesting that she described in that way. Speaking of that, I've got another Jake description, which is. Marco, Cassie, and Tobias, in their shrunk forms, are deciding whether they should fight the Helmicrons or run away. And they all kind of look at each other, and Marco says, boy, you miss Jake when he's not around to make the life and death decisions. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was some other good, oh man, there was some really good axe stuff. Axe stuff is so good. There very (laughs) much was. Go on. Yeah, I mean, we saw some of, like, his less comical traits. Like, I liked... um, we saw another example of him being like super guarded, not wanting to commit to, like he's like, how did how were they able to find Tobias? They should just think he's a bird. And Cassie says, are you suggesting they somehow knew what Tobias was? Um, and X says, I do not know. I'm just expressing concern. And like, he said it guardedly. And yeah, like we've seen that trait from him a lot of times before, like the oh, not wanting yeah, to commit mm-hmm. to knowledge that he's not like a hundred percent sure of. Which I think also plays into like he doesn't warn them about sometimes stuff that could happen because he's not sure if that's. At play. But interestingly, Andalites and Helmicrons have never interacted. True. Well, as the far Yurks as Axe knows, the she's not the best student, but the Yurks and Visser 3 do know the Helmicrons. That's true. That makes me wonder if like, the Yurks in general know the Helmicrons, or if just Visser 3, because we know that Visser 3 has traveled a lot to collect all his morphs. <laughs> Good point. That's true. Maybe he's oh, like, should yes. I acquire them? <laughs> This Wait, is not a helpful morph. This is the fanfic I want to read, is how Visser 3... Because actually, this is one. This is the other one of the funniest things in my head, and one of the things I remember most strongly about this book is mm-hmm. when they are uh, targeting Visser 3, the ship flies up next to the window of his limo and is, like, zapping the window. Uh-huh. And so from inside, Visser 3 is like, what's that? And he starts rolling down the window, and Cassie sees him in slow motion. Just She can't hear him, but she sees his mouth go... Helmicrons. <laughs> <laughs> like confused look. I really amazing. liked how she had to translate for the Helmicrons, who of course can't lip read humans. Uh, but it's like, can you imagine whatever the encounter must have been like for him to be like that dawning sense of horror that the Helmicrons <laughs> have found him? These guys again, they're so annoying. Mm. Okay, how much of this interaction of Axe and Cassie's dad do we want to read? And should we have Rena read it? Because I think maybe we should. I will always I mean, be down for more reading. It's priceless. <laughs> Let's see, where, which chapter is that in? Oh, that's right. Just after he morphs to human. Where should we pick it up from? Hello, my dad said guardedly. Do I know you? I do not know whether you know me, Axe said. <laughs> Only you would be able to answer that question. <laughs> Just strong start acts, really. I, I'm not the one like, country. He must be so it. sincere, yes. you know. He's like just a people pleaser. <laughs> yeah, her dad's like, "Why were you hiding behind that cage? I did not wish you to see me." Axe said, "But now you may see me." <laughs> there was a long pause. Okay, <laughs> my father said. Uh, yeah, let's. Do uh, you want to read the part about um, who acts? Sure, he's fine. He's just from a different country. Oh, and then oh yeah, and then he's is he all right? My father asked. Who? Axe? Sure, he's fine, Jake said. He's just from a different country. I groaned. Oh no, now my dad'll ask, 
Oh, very interesting. Axe, what country are you from? I am from the Republic of Ivory Coast. Oh, man. I moaned. <laughs> Why did I ever give him that world, Hamlenak? You know, if you don't mind me saying so, you don't look like you'd be from the Ivory Coast, my father said. <laughs> he was getting that edge he gets in his voice when someone is slowly but surely beginning to grind his last nerve. How about Equatorial Guinea? The Republic of Kyrgyzstan? Canada? Tell you what, my father said. Let's just go with Canada. I am from Canada. I am Canadese. <laughs> well, I think Axe is handling that pretty well, Marco said brightly. You'd never guess he was an alien. An idiot, maybe. Alien, no. <laughs> so I love this whole oh, sequence so, so much. Also, I also, those voices are great, Rita. Yes, they were awesome. awesome. Well Thank done. You. I feel like it's worth pointing out that Axe is not white. Like... Right. I feel like that's the implication in what Cassie's data says. Like, why are you from well, the Republic of Ivory Coast? Olive skins? Do we get his skin tone? Not like, in this I mean, book, I don't think. Like a quarter black, a quarter Hispanic, right? Half white. Doesn't help that the one, like the one cover that we've seen his human form on, is definitely a white kid back in book eight. Like super white. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which seems just like they just did the cover super wrong. Yes. But like, it also seems like they never really acknowledged that he is not white, which is weird. Like, they just forgot. I don't know. Or maybe he, like, made his human morph white. That seems really odd. I Let's not go there. I assume it's I assume it's a Keisu, or, like, yeah. the author is yeah. not thinking it through. I mean, it could go with the argument that his accent is clearly not someone who's from the Republic of Ivory Coast. So, like, his <laughs> accent is very clearly perfectly American. Yeah. And that is totally why his or Cassie's dad does not believe that he's from anywhere. That's true. I mean, he says, like, you do not look. But, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it's more... Overall impression, you seem like you don't know what a nail is, but <laughs> considering that Axe wasn't in this book very much, there were some really priceless moments. There's the thing where they, they've left him holding the box, and Marco and Cassie realize that the Helmicron hostages are worthless. They're like, we have to get to Axe! He's in human morph with human eyes! He doesn't even realize he has to look behind him! <laughs> <That was great. laughs> Wait, I just got that. I, I, read, I read past it. I read past it when I was reading it, but that's amazing. Oh, that's so also funny. the thing where he's the only one of them who isn't shrunk. And they're all on his, like, leg. Wait, okay. Hand. Why don't they just acquire him? What's the point? Oh, my. Oh, Wouldn't it be wow. better to be giant Andalites rather than, like... Because well, they, they need specifically the anteater eat the tongue to get the Helmicrons. Yeah, but to get they're out morphing of the situation, for the tongue. right? Yeah, Axe doesn't have a tongue, so they can't. <laughs> Useless. Well, they can't acquire Axe because if they acquire Axe while he's, like, running away and fighting and, like, holding the blue box, he'll go into the acquiring trance. So oh. that's true. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Visser three should have acquired this him is... aggressively. Oh, you're so that's right. Has anyone one. ever done that? I hope. I wonder if anyone will ever use the acquiring trance. Like, well, they did it with the jaguar in book jaguar. eleven, where no, they're like, like, on, an, Don't on, like eat a, us. on like a opposing corkbajir or <gasps> taxon or something. Wow. Right? Well, they'd have to be in human form when they did it, except oh yeah, so right. So that's why they can't do it. Yeah. X could do it. Yeah, so this is getting into some other issues. If they acquire Axe while they're tiny and then get unshrunk, does the DNA in their bloodstream get really huge yes. and then they would morph huge Axe? Yes. So if okay. they, yeah, ever they Everyone in... acquires a giant anteater morph at the end of this book, including <laughs> Visser 3. That is true. A gi- sorry, it, 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 the specific animal is a giant anteater. No, but like a giant. But also, but I a mean, giant, huge. Giant anteater. Yeah, like a colossal anteater. Giant, giant anteater, yes. Godzilla anteater. I'm very looking forward to Science Corner. 
Okay, one more axe thing before we go there. I really, so he's he's running away and he's the only one who's unshrunk. And he's like, where should I go? Tobias, Cassie, Marco, where should I run when I have formed my human legs? <laughs> this is just a priceless way of asking that question, Axe. You were so good. He's also all worried. He's like, they'll find out I have a human morph. And everyone's like, no, they obviously know that already. That's, <laughs> you're on Earth. Of course you have a human morph. Uh... It's like he's he's a little confused about like where people get morphs. He thinks that, that Fissor 3 must have been in contact with traitors because he has the Kafit bird. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, good point. I'm still mad about that. Okay, you wanted to talk about something else. Ted, you want to talk about the descriptions of the big things? Oh, yeah. So as a warm-up to Science Corner, Cassie has some great descriptions of things when she is small. We already talked about admiring her very cute boyfriend's giant zit. I guess I said boyfriend, but they won't even admit to it. So that's that's really not fair. (laughs) Her crush. Her crush. Mutual crush. At one point, I think she described someone's fingers as being the size of taxons, which is like of all the things. I think it was Jake's fingers, actually. But this one, this one description, I think this is as Marco is shrinking. Uh, she says, Marco was standing on sequoia legs with feet the size of twin Titanic. So is it just me? Or is there like a real scale problem with that description? <laughs> yeah, Those I think the Titanic is bigger than a compared sequoia. Compared to Marco. <laughs> but one of them's a lot bigger than the other. <laughs> yes. Maybe she's thinking of the Titanic. Did everything but his feet shrink? (laughs) This whole time, he just has human feet, like sized feet. They also, uh, at one point, someone has a thumb the size of Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) And at some point, huge fingers like the columns of Greek temples stabbed the air. Nightmare faces the size of Great Lakes were all around us. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I also, this wasn't called out, but I feel like when Jake and Rachel get shrunk, they're already in morph. So their their tiger and bear should be much smaller than Cassie's wolf and gorilla. <laughs> Wait, oh, why was there not a Rachel D morphs and then you have tiny Marco and even tinier Rachel? Marco would have that loved been that. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> What a missed opportunity. That's such a good point. Because they did make use of the fact that Tobias, when he demorphs from Hawk, is like many times larger than Marco and Cassie, even though he's still less than an inch tall. And then he demorphs to human, so he's a big big Tobias. Big Tobias. He pulled me up to sit on his knee like a toddler. Marco was on his other knee. (laughs) Tobias was leaning back against one of Axe's fingers. Some of the Helmicrons come out of their ship and Tobias just picks them up. (laughs) Oh, man. There was a lot of great description of scale. The thing where they morph flies is really cool, where they suddenly start seeing individual cells. Marco's like, that's what a ribosome looks like. They aren't all different colors like in the textbooks, which honestly, I think if I saw a cell, I would expect it to be in bright colors and maybe a cartoon drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, is this getting into Science Corner? Is because, it? Because is it? at this point in my notes, I write, they can see, and then dot, 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 new line, individual cells, all caps. <laughs> is this how we science? <laughs> Okay, there are so many problems with the idea of them shrinking. Yes. Like, <laughs> how true. Go like, on. Okay, so first of all, how are they breathing air? That was going to bring that up too, yeah. Like, if they're <laughs> smaller than the oxygen that like they're breathing, minutes. then... The scent are... molecules they normally would have tasted were probably too large, relatively speaking, for me to make sense of. What about the air molecules? <laughs> well, the air molecules will be a problem even when they're just a sixteenth of an inch because they wouldn't connect to the molecules inside their body. They're out of scale. Right, because they have mini cells, right? Yeah. Presumably, 
It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> How do they smell? How do they, like, hear? How do they do anything? Like, it's, yes, it just, the science breaks down immediately. Well, but, it, which would be fine, except that they sort of try and bring up the square cube law, and then forget about it. Because, <laughs> yeah, they bring up thing like, we're extra small now, uh, or we're extra strong now that we're small, because, which is true, like, that is how it works, like, your muscle strength um, is a factor of like the cross section of your muscles, so it's the area. So if you are suddenly half the size height wise, your muscles will be a quarter as strong, but you'll have an eighth of the mass because mass is sort of a cube factor. I'm not explaining this very well. No, but very I like it. You're explaining it better I, than yeah. the books did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if you start out as like your height is h and your height goes to half h and everything shrinks proportionally. Your strength will be a quarter H, and your mass will be, well, of whatever it was before. And your mass will be an eighth of what it was before because mass is a three-dimensional measure, so it's the shrinkage factor cubed. Um, So they are less strong than they were, but they're even lighter than... The degree to which they are lighter is greater than the degree to which they are weaker. Oh, I so would they be can move so their good body at better. If I were half as tall, you right. would be so good at pull-ups. But so <laughs> they do the like dirt. Dirt doesn't crush them because they're strong. Bit. Mm-hmm. But they don't do like, and we can bounce around like we're on the moon or yeah, like any which other. Which they should be able to do. That would come from having very low mass. And it then, should be like the John Carter or whatever, where he's like bouncing yeah. up in the air on Mars, right, which right. was ridiculous. And then the but... whole the whole whale thing at the end doesn't. The make whale any sense thing. At all. Okay, shall we go to that? Let's, <laughs> Let's do go it. to the whale thing. Okay, so I did some math. Yay! Did anyone else do math? Because no. I feel like my numbers are a little okay. suspect. I did not do math. Well, I just want to say, <laughs> at at a certain point in this book, fairly close to the beginning, I was I think as, as soon as the dirt thing happened, we're like, oh, we're <laughs> stronger now that we're small. I'm like, no, this doesn't. This is just silly. This is silly no, but science that was stuff. Right. No, I know, but I was like, I like, I have to, I have to at this point say this is not going to make any sense. What they're doing doesn't make any sense. That's fine. And I just <laughs> went along with the ride, and I didn't question anything. And then Jenny came along and was like, "Could you check my math real quick?" And I was like, "I want there to be a way for this to work out so that either K. Applegate or Cassie comes across as doing this correctly in the universe of the Animorphs." However. There's no way it works. Jenny's math is right. Yeah, so, okay, Cassie says at one point, she's morphing a humpback whale, and the goal in morphing a humpback whale is to weigh down the Helmicron ship. Because she's like, okay, I'm tiny, but my whale morph will be much bigger than I am, so it will be heavy enough to provide enough weight that the ship won't be able to fly. So... That is an excellent explanation of it. But instead of giving that explanation, can you read Marco's description of what happens here? Oh, I don't have it handy. Do you want to read it? I do. Okay. Just because I think it's a nice introduction to the math that you're about to do. Great. This is definitely it, Marco said. We have at last achieved maximum weirdness. We're the size of pimples looking up at a bird turned boy who looks huge because he's made be a quarter of an inch tall as we fly around on the back of a toy-sized spaceship, which we hope to crash by having Cassie turn into a whale the size of a baby mouse so we can defeat a race of lunatics with brains the size of bacteria. That does it. The votes are in. The Oscar for absolute insanity goes to us. Everyone go home. We rule the lunatic world. I love those summaries. Okay, so here's what Cassie says. A real humpback is maybe 50 feet long. Sure. Maybe 12 times as long as I am tall, give or take. Sure. Uh, My baseline was now roughly a 16th of an inch. 12 times a 16th of an inch is less than an inch. That sounds great. Yep. So the whale is going to be like three quarters of an inch long. Right. 
But you have to realize, she says, that the ratio was for mass too. No, it wasn't. <laughs> That's it was it was the same ratio, but it was the ratio cubed. No, you can have it you can have it that way. The magic technology could change length while preserving mass by pulling the mass out of sea space or something. However, this kills the whale. Yes, it would also kill Cassie yes, when she was that she small. She is the whale. So that oh no, but I mean when she's human. Oh, like okay. so clearly it's not that's not what's going on. If they are actually stronger when they're small, that's not what's going on. So, although we should talk about how the shrinking works because there are a few different ways it could work. Uh, well, not really, but there are a few different ways it could hypothetically work. <laughs> so, okay. So she says, in other words, saying inch-long whale doesn't really get across the reality because in the real world, a humpback may, might weigh 60 tons. I looked it up. It looks like 66, like 66,000 pounds is more accurate, but sure, we'll say 60 tons just for maximum generosity here. Okay, so if the whale is normally 50 feet or 600 inches, it's going down to three quarters of an inch or one eight hundredth of its length. So its length is one over eight hundred of what it used to be. Its mass is one over eight hundred cubed, which is one five hundred twelve millionth of its normal mass. But I mean, one five hundred twelve <laughs> millionth of sixty-six thousand pounds. That sounds like a big number, Jenny. It is not. <laughs> it is well. This is using sixty tons, which is even larger. But it is point zero 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 two three four three eight of a pound, or point zero zero three seven five ounces. That is so much smaller than the blue box that the ship is already carrying. It is negligible. It is infinitesimal. She's going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. It's like the blue box was already stressing the ship out, and it's just this one extra Tobias has a mini. He's like a slightly bigger human at this point. That's true. Okay. I've got one (laughs) chance, one like, you know, Watsonian chance for this to happen. Cassie's the best morpher. That uh-huh. has ever morphed, right? That's true. What if as she morphs the whale, she pulls extra mass out of sea space? <laughs> and it's really like a super massive... You know, if anyone could morph a whale that was out of scale to like where she started, I, it would be Cassie. Yeah. That's true. Gray is rolling her eyes. But okay, there is this question of when you shrink them, like you're shrinking like all of their cells, you're shrinking the molecules... Are the molecules becoming less massive? Are they like, or just, uh, is are all the like quarks and stuff getting closer together, no. which would be sort of the mass preservation version? Yeah, the only way that it would make sense, I think it makes more sense if they didn't do the we're stronger bit. Mm. That's if they actually, were just like too that's weak the worst to plot hole, right? Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> because no, if you're I a 16th you just, of an inch tall, you can't lift like 100 pounds. No, but if you, just, if you warp physics local to their bodies, in a very local setting, then it makes sense, right? Okay. Like, all right. If you just if you just keep physics the same around, they're like them. in a pocket universe that interacts with the real world. I know. I know that we get paid every time we say pocket universe on this it's podcast. It's great to have that pocket universe sponsorship. But in this case, I would not say it's a pocket universe. It's, okay, this but is it one is a things, localized. I'm going to start saying something. Yeah, it's a localized too. field. Okay. Up and Marco has to cut us off before we finish the sentence. Marco's not here. Okay, Rita, you have to be Marco. Cut us off. Um, can I say one more quick sperm? Uh, one more quick whale thing. <laughs> you're not going to be able to edit that. You're going to have to say it again. <laughs> say it. All. Gonna, <laughs> I think we're going to keep that one in. <laughs> okay. What's out, your sperm thing? Out the whale Is this part. about how they're going to reproduce? No. And and repopulate the planet with tiny Never. people. But what will the tiny people eat? None of the molecules in the food will interact with their digestive systems. They'll have to grow new tiny food. From what? The Helmicrons will have to shrink some seeds and stuff, but 
those seeds won't interact with the water molecules, so they'll have to shrink some water also. Science corner is out of hand. <laughs> this is getting way too complicated. I don't think the Helmicrons will be so generous. No, well, maybe once the males take over, which is a different thing we should talk about. Great, what's your sperm thing? <laughs> what's your sperm thing? <laughs> I was going to say they talk about whales four times, and it's three different kinds of whales, and I think that's funny. Okay, they do? <laughs> okay, go, yes, do tell. And the reason I, I said sperm was because the first one is sperm whale. Mm. The, Wait. As in the the morph that Cassie has? No, no. Cassie the first thing that well. no, the first thing that happens is uh, they there's a there's a bullet that goes by, and she says it's a sperm whale sized bullet. Very specific. Very specific. I guess she does like animals. And then uh, at one point, um, the Jake's in a, in his uh, falcon morph, and it she says it's a peregrine falcon that could have swallowed a blue whale. From my blue perspective, whale. okay. Even so, there's a. So far, a sperm whale, blue whale, and then there's um, the humpback whale that Cassie morphs into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, there's a lot of whales in this. Yeah, a lot of different species. Seems weird. <laughs> I mean, I guess whales are kind of a go-to when you're talking about big sizes. I guess. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Since we're talking about this whale maneuver, do you guys remember what Cassie gets wedged between when she is a whale? The engine nacelles? Yeah, the engine nacelles. Is that how you say that? But yeah. Okay. What is this word? Is that not is, is that, that not a thing? No, it is a thing. But like, why does Cassie know what an engine nacelle is? It's a good question. If anyone question. would know, it would be like uh, Marco because of some you know comics thing, right? I've never heard this well, word. They talk they talk about it in Star Trek, don't they? Don't they refer to the parts of the Star Trek ships as the as the nacelles? They is might. That, do they? I don't know, maybe they don't I've, say I've it on the show. One episode of Star Trek. She... Maybe they talk about it in the fandom. Maybe they don't talk about it on the show. So I don't know if Marco would know she or not. Does. Like, she says she doesn't know a lot about the ships and the sci-fi stuff, but she does, like, look at the ship and say Romulan, which I definitely didn't know that word when I was 13. I was like, I don't know, some sci-fi thing. Like, she, maybe she secretly knows Star Trek really well. She does say Star Wars or Star Trek or Star something, I guess. Star something. Yeah, she's at this level of Star something, and she knows what a nacelle is. Apparently. I guess maybe it must be a Trekkie thing. I buy that, Rena. Mm-hmm. Yes, Apple Grant didn't realize it wasn't common knowledge because they just knew it so well. <laughs> it's probably that, also yeah. one of those things where, like, the engine thing, you know, those things, like, the engine blob, the engine, Thinking, like, what do you yeah. call it? There are two Sticky engines. Up thing. <laughs> engine one Sticky and engine two, thing. yeah. Could have just said between thinking. the engines. Right. There was a lot of, like, name-dropping different sci-fi ships. Should yeah, we, there was. Should we have a 90s corner? Before we talk about oh, I was thinking that of that as more of a sci-fi corner. It could be it could be a '90s corner, but I was gonna comment how only the boys know what sci-fi things are, which was interesting coming from the husband-wife author team, where at least the Kay Applegate seems to know a lot about sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. But only Jake and Marco know sci-fi, and well, the mail clerk. I mean, this this could be this is based on a very loose judgment about stuff that they wrote in like an interview online, but. From the description of how Apple Grant created the series, I felt like it was very much, she was like, I want to write a series about animals, kids turning into animals. <laughs> and Michael Grant was like, well, then it should, you should have aliens and like yeah. do it with alien technology. No, mm-hmm. I think she's a Trekkie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's, that's known. Yes. This yeah, was she's a, a very Star Trek book. There were tractor beams. There were shrink rays. There were engine nacelles. Speaking of like random Cassie moments, 
Uh, one Cassie thing that really stood out to me as a kind of funny thing is like, you know, she doesn't really know the type of starship that this might be similar to, but she was able to list every single animal that was in the cages <laughs> back at the barn. That's so true. Like all 12 different types of animals that she goes she through. had all three ty- of those types of whales. Mm-hmm. She also has this line, Helmicrons yelled like fans at a football game whose team had just scored a home run. Or whatever it is oh, yeah. they do in football. <laughs> I love that. I'm sure she meant it sincerely, but I also like it as a burn on sports. <laughs> I feel like it probably was a little bit of a... Because, like, I don't know. She probably knew. All right. Is it time to get into how shrinking works? Sure. Go for it. I, that, what was that sigh about, Gray? The sigh was just... Yeah, all right. I guess we have to talk about Are you this. just intimidated by the real genuine science that exists yes. okay. in this so, book? Okay, so the Helmicrons are actually really good at science and technology. Yeah. Right? So they they identify the source of power that is the Morphin Cube, which uh-huh. is something the Yerks have not managed they to do. They cannot do, do. It's no. not very well secured, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they say the transformational power source is what they're using for the shrinking. So it seems like in that moment when Cassie is like, pity threatening them like you guys are pretty small you know wouldn't want something to happen to you and they're like they improvise a shrinking ray from their oh. new power source and are like haha this will show you right like oh. it's not necessarily like they they always go around with shrinking rays it's like they happen to have mm. the box which has transformational power oh. and they've like harvested it to create a shrinking ray as an improvised that's interesting. weapon right that's a good point i like that so like that's actually really impressive mm-hmm. and like the Andalites don't seem to have shrinking rays, right? Like, they the, invented the the morphing technology, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was assuming, because, like, a shrink ray would be a really logical thing for a race of tiny aliens to have. Um, so I was kind of assuming that, yeah, they always have this, but maybe but the, it was why blue they, box so, dependent. So you think that the it's a power source that happens to be transformational, but it's universal yes. power. Yes, So they that's, can use how, it to power that's how I was interpreting it. Ray. Interesting. But it might not be true. Um, I thought it was like something about the morphing cube. Let them. Yeah. Like it's like a special kind of power. Because they are able to track the morphing yeah. energy, which means they have to have familiarity with like different kinds of shifting energy signatures or right. whatever. Even though the Andalites don't know about them. Right. And right. The and it's, it's like old. it's better than the Valik. Like the Valik could only find them when they were morphing. And um, yeah. they are able to find figure out that Tobias is a morpher when he's not even morphed. Mm-hmm. Oh, but really, that makes uh, or brings up a really interesting question that I was curious about. So the Helmicrons don't find David, (gasps) who is trapped in Nothlet form. So maybe that gives us a clue about like kind of how the morphing energy works. Like maybe it's something that your body holds for a while and then it dissipates. And like once you don't have any more like morphing energy in your system, you can't morph back. And that's like what the two hour limit is. That's interesting. No, that makes so much sense. And so then if this had happened before book 13 and Tobias was a true Nothlet, he would have been like a stealth anamorph. The Helmicrons would have been able to, to trace him. So, That's yeah. so, interesting. so in that theory, it's like your human or like whatever body you acquire morphing in, like your natural body has like energy that it can use to morph. But then that and en- the morphing body sort of borrows that energy and it only lasts for two hours and then you can't morph back because you've lost the energy, but your natural body still has the energy. Right. That's interesting. Hmm. That's really cool. Just random yeah. So well, I love I was random things like, are they draining the does is the cube like a battery or is it a infinitely renewable source of it's connected transformational to space energy, energy. 
Yeah, so <laughs> then it's like this thing is way more powerful than just being used for morphing because you can you you should be oh, able to yeah. use this energy source for lots power of the things. Planet. If it, like every morphing cube is like an infinite connection to this like space anti-space that lets you travel faster than the speed of light. Huh. If it's like a conduit, it probably has a limit as to how much it can channel at any one time. And the Helmicrons can do so much with it because they're so small and they're not using oh, much that's power. So true. That's a good point. So we don't know scale. how much power. Yeah. But like, it's also weird because like, is Z, it seems like to move something into Z-space requires a ton of energy. But are they also getting energy out of Z-space when they, with like with the cube? Like, I feel like there's some inconsistency about like how Z-space and energy works. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, okay. it's shocking. What if, what if the Escafil device is originally Helmicron technology? What? And the Andalites stole it? The Andalites stole it. Oh my gosh. Escafil stole it or or harvested it, repurposed it. No, because if that morphing. were true, the Helmicrons would definitely say it. They, they would have talked about how it was their rightful power and they deserve exactly. to have it but back. It, mm, but yeah, that's interesting. But maybe it's just like if you found some, I don't know. If you found a pack of batteries on Mars, you'd just be like, hey, I want these batteries. And someone else, the Martians were like, no, you can't take our batteries. You, you wouldn't, well, no, you wouldn't you'd necessarily be like, be like obviously... humans invented batteries. You'd just be like, no, I want them. But if they were like Duracell double A's, you'd be like, okay, these are obviously human yeah. batteries. Okay, it's the generic <laughs> brand Morphing Cube, right? No, so they I went to, like, like, the the Helmicron CVS and got the, like, off They painted one. it blue, and it obviously should be green, <laughs> which is the Helmicron's eye color. <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> Nothing. I thought that was much better. <laughs> Speaking of the word green, I like that just made me think of a random phrase when they were when they were really tiny flies and they were near the Helmicron's head and they were seeing the eye. And they said they described the eye as a globe the size of a green moon. It's like, is a green moon a different size than any other kind of moon? <laughs> I just thought that really was funny. Right, Good a editing globe, catch. A green globe uh, the size of a moon. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, man. While we're talking about the shrinking technology, can we also talk about sizes a little bit more? Sure. There were some good descri- There were more good descriptions we haven't even read it's yet. It's not even that that I want to talk about. Okay. Show so, the people on the podcast. Yeah, this is not good podcast comment. Picture in your head. But a ruler. Content. A plain gray ruler. The reason I have this ruler is that I would like to demonstrate how tall a sixteenth of an inch actually yeah. is. Serena, this is very bad podcast content even for you. But this is a sixteenth of an inch. Yeah. And so my thing about that is... None of this happened. Because <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you're saying if they had been like a quarter of an inch tall, you would have believed it? I'm saying this is, it's not just that you can't breathe. It's that like the the vibrations of the world would have exploded them. Hmm, the, interesting. It, that is an unreasonable size. The vibrations of the world. Exploded I really like that. I think that's our episode <laughs> title. Skyants. <laughs> That is just, it, that is an absurd size. That Everyone at home, then, go find your, your ruler. Look at how big a sixteenth of an inch is. And then when you go down to a fly from that? Yeah, well, That's why they were seeing individual cells. Not just individual cells, molecules. They start being oh, able to yeah. see molecules. They see the cell no, they they're didn't. on begins dividing. Okay, all right. But. But that's magic. If this can happen in the magic school bus, it can happen here. 
No, it can't. <laughs> yeah, this the is name. the science school bus, Jenny. <laughs> oh, I see. So this is the science. But the magic school bus was all about science. Yes, but they used hmm. magic to explore the science, whereas this is using this science is to explore science. magic. I mean, you had the kids turning into water molecules to like study the the precipitation cycle. So I think that kind of strains credulity in and of itself. I guess. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's my whole story. Yeah, so they would suffocate within three minutes and then also get destroyed by the vibrations of the worlds. And yeah, how do their cells work if they're smaller? They if like don't. they have, are made of cells, but okay, also okay. the size no, no, of the no. cell. The Helmocrons just make everything else bigger. <laughs> that fixes it, right? No. They still because, can't breathe. <laughs> right, because if they make the air bigger, it's too big for them. But if they make like human Jake, who as we know is already tall, but if they make him like, I don't know, what were we saying? 800 times larger, 800 times taller, then he is not going to be able to stand up. He's going to be too weak to stand. Yeah, okay, so let's circle back to the giant, giant anteater thing. Now, thank you for bringing that up. So at the end of this book, they Cassie figures out the amazing morphing fix to their problem, which is a classic Cassie thing to do, which is mm-hmm. if we acquire new DNA now, that DNA will not be shrunk. Because the morphing technology respects the relative size of the animal or whatever. Uh-huh. So they all morph anteaters, mm-hmm. right? Including Visser 3, which for some reason I love. <laughs> I just love that Visser 3, when he's like sneering and twirling his mustache, he is He's actually also, curling his tongue because he's, he's also an anteater. an anteater. But anyway, so after they are restored. I just, why, I feel like Visser 3 needs to get a mustache somehow. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a side note. It's just really sad that Andalites can't grow mustaches. I'm do sorry. Well, how do you know they can't? We just haven't seen it. Oh, maybe <gasps> Axe shaves every morning. <laughs> well, they have fur. So do you think they'd well, grow, like, well, they, darker they have, fur? No. Maybe the northern Andalites from the North Pole, like, they grow mustaches, but we don't see them on the fighter ships. <laughs> you Also, they have really sharp tail blades, which they could use to shave. He shaves himself with his tail blade. Wow. Okay, but he shaves himself down to, like, normal fur length, so you just can't see there was ever a mustache there. What was the mustache for if there's no mouth? Like, why why did they evolve a mustache? Like, because don't you evolve, like, isn't that sort of, uh, I don't know, protect, I don't know. There must be some reason for a mustache. Maybe it's a kissing thing. (laughs) That andalites touch each other's faces. (laughs) The mustache is, like, especially sensitive. Ted, you were okay. saying something about giant anteaters. Oh, yeah, I... right. So so according to the rules that Cassie discovers, after they have been returned to their size, they all now have giant anteater morphs. Right? Yeah, giant, giant anteater morphs. Which, as you just pointed out, Jenny, if you actually morphed that, that large and things respected the square cube law, then you would be crushed under your own weight and mm-hmm. die. But... It seems like there's some wiggle room in terms of whether those physics apply. And so maybe they could just all become like Godzilla-sized anteaters and... Stomp the yerk pool? Stomp the yerk pool. Wow. Um, lick up all the yerks. Lick up all the yerks. Dr- oh. Yeah, drink, drink the yerk pool like a milkshake. Okay, but we haven't figured out if uh, things you eat stay in your body when you, when you demorph. So I'm not sure they would want to take that risk. You're not going to get from anteater stomach to brain. Oh, (laughs) no, I was just thinking, would you want a stomach full of, like, your pool sludge? That's just, it'd be bad. Oh, when you demorph. It's the chili thing. Yeah. Yeah. What are you Googling? Well, so there there were um, giant 
giant anteaters. But not oh. this giant. 16th of an inch. 800 times as large as an surely as a not. anteater. How tall is an anteater? I don't know, a couple feet. Big. No, big. We, I looked this up How the tall is a giant anteater? A normal giant anteater. 5.97 to 6, 7.12 feet in length. That's okay. length. So like, like long. six feet long. Six, okay. Probably two feet high. Three feet high. So probably two feet. 2,400. <laughs> okay, it's probably Wait, no, not no. that big. Six times eight. I did it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Six times eight is 48. Uh, 4,800 4, feet is real big. It's like a mile long anteater. Right. It's probably not that big. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably, They're going to destroy yeah. the planet. Well, then the Yerks won't have to do it. <laughs> so this is what I mean, Fizzer is, 3 will do. No, this is just going to be their, like, it's going to be the end of every Animorphs book from now on. Where, like, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. I think we're not going to get out of this one. It, let's just morph the giant anteaters. <laughs> we're all going to die, but we might as well take out the but Yerks with us. Viscer oh, three. we're inside, we're inside Visser 1's spaceship again. We're inside the mothership. <laughs> I guess we'll morph the giant anteaters, blow it out of the sky, right? <laughs> But Fizzer 3 also has a giant anteater morph, so it could be a battle of six giant, or five giant anteaters, because Axe didn't get one. Five giant anteaters versus one giant anteater. Right. And Tobias's giant anteater will be smaller than the rest of theirs. That's true. <laughs> so it's like, you know, giant anteater and much smaller giant anteater for Tobias. So Tobias could actually per- perhaps survive uh, <laughs> as a giant anteater. But so Visser 3 loves giant monster morphs. I think giant earth anteater is a valid Visser 3 monster morph. Yeah, he's probably the only one who tries Especially it. on like a moon or something. Yeah. Where the weight wouldn't be as much of a problem. I mean, he would maybe, oh, Unless yes. Unless he makes the moon drop out of the sky because he's so heavy. <laughs> right. Lower gravitational field. But he would, he would definitely affect that moon very strongly. And like, I feel like if you destroy the moon you're on, you might be in trouble. He'd be rescued by a spaceship. Just morph out of it. Yeah. Demorph. Get rescued. It'd be great. You could pick the bypassing ship in Seed Space. Speaking <laughs> of Visser 3, yes. can we talk about a few of the great Visser 3 moments at the end of this book? Yeah. They're very funny. There's like a whole chase scene. He's morphed into a very small version of some... Very small, very large monster. Very, very large monster. <laughs> He says, a strange place to meet for our final battle, Andalites, but battle we must. That was pretty calm for him. I think maybe the fact that he was the size of a dandruff flake depressed him. <laughs> Such good size comparison. <clears throat> then the Helmicrons are there being annoying, and uh, Visser looks at them and says, I don't know about you Andalites, but these creatures are really, really, really annoying me. And then they... And then, now I know it's not possible for a tiger to grin, but I swear Jake did. And for the first and probably last time in history, humans and Yerks turned as one to face a common enemy. This book is so silly, but this, like, really cheapens the conflict between the Animorphs and Visser 3. Like, it's just so silly. Like, okay, get but, your priorities straight. Like, immediately, because the next line is like, unfortunately, it didn't last very long because we were over the gardens. So the Animorphs agree <laughs> to a truce with Visser 3. They face a common enemy. As soon as they do, the Animorphs run away. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. So I think, I think probably what Fizzer 3 took from this is, wow, the one time I was like, all right, let's just fight these jerks together. They said they would fight with me and then they ran away. The Andalite bandits have no honor. Exactly. So it really just worsened relations again. You're on Esplin's side here, Jenny. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, I think it's okay. I think it's okay for the Animorphs to bail when they did. 
But I do think that probably it didn't look good to the year. So, like, I feel like relations are worse than they were. Yeah. I mean, well, and then Despite they have, having teamed up. They have this whole standoff mm-hmm. after having teamed up. And uh, then there's a very anticlimactic and very bad last chapter, which I really want to talk about. But at one point, they decide, Mr. Three decided maybe the conquest of Earth would work better if he was bigger than a semicolon. <laughs> <laughs> and they have the shrinking ray, so they have a truce. They mm-hmm. everybody unshrinks. It is very silly. I mean, just kill Visser Three. Just, just he's crush him. Small. He's no. a tiny. He's a tiny Visser Three. Just don't kill, kill Visser Three. You'll get a competent ruler, like leader of the invasion. Put him in a jar. Oh. <laughs> Use him as a hostage. Oh. You know, give him some stuff yeah. to eat once in a while, but or now you have enlarge the Rita Skeeter method. Enlarge him up to like 70% scale. Ah! <laughs> also good. That's the best solution. Yeah, he's, so he's like a tiny Little horse version. Like, three. Yeah. If they Little have... Visser. <laughs> Little Visser. Oh, no. <laughs> so if they have now the shrinking technology, but backwards, where they can make things big, I have two questions. Mm-hmm. One. Why would the Helmicrons not have used it to make themselves big? <laughs> they are the perfect size. The rest of the world is just overly gigantic, and it's they do not need to make themselves bigger. They just need to make everyone grow. Yeah, 100%. Okay, yeah. Fair. But the reason they also can't do it scientifically because they won't be strong enough to move their own bodies if they are 800 times larger. Yes, well, the science in this book has been consistent throughout, so good point. Exactly. Yep, glad you agree. Yeah, it was very much a reset button ending. Yes, it was. And it's very skimmed over. We worked out a deal. And that's all yeah. they say. Like, and yeah. Mr. Three just willingly walks away. Like, you know what? Okay, I'll agree to the deal. And I'll go away and let you Andalites just stay here and finish off your business. And he really doesn't like finishing out Cassie books. Yeah. Mm. 9, 14, this one. Yeah. He wasn't in 19. Thank goodness, because we would have had to do this. But yeah, <laughs> maybe Cassie should narrate more books. I feel like it would be easier <laughs> for the other ones. <laughs> but they didn't do anything to get rid of Visor Three, so that's true. The other uh, skating over thing at the end that I found very bad mm-hmm. was that uh, one of the ways in which the Helmicrons are insect-like, besides their size, is that it is a, a, a species dominated by the women. Mm-hmm. So. There are male Helmicrons. They are not active participants in the war that the Helmicrons are waging on the universe. Mm-hmm. Until the Animorphs show up, they enter this society. They decide, no, no, you can't be like ants and bees and have warriors who are women. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. The males must also be warriors. And so at the end, they unshrink themselves. But not before we had a good long talk with some of the Helmicron males. You guys need a males liberation movement, Marco told them. Why should you put up with being treated like second-class Helmicrons? And then the males agreed and decide they will crush the females beneath our feet. And the end of this is just a battle between the female and male Helmicrons. I'm sure they'll live happily ever after. That's exactly how it ends. We headed home, leaving the Helmicrons, female and male, to work things out sensibly among themselves, knowing with absolute certainty that there was no chance they would. Excuse me. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Where do you get off going into this society, which I grant you is silly and not working particularly well, Mm. and being like, you know what you need? A completely different society. Let us create conflict 
between the genders in your society that did not previously exist and allow you to destroy each other. What? You colonialist <laughs> Get off the ship! It's none of your damn business! I do, I will admit, I find it hard to have a lot of sympathy for the Helmicrons who came to Earth to conquer it and destroy everything and make human slaves beneath their feet. But I see your point. Are Helmicrons people? <laughs> yes! Are they? That's, so, I, great, I totally hear your point. Also, I feel like this whole look in terms of, like, haha, battle of the sexist thing has not aged particularly well. Yeah. Like, if you, if you want to think about it for more than two seconds. <laughs> I do think it's a very effective way to get the Helmicrons to not bother anyone ever again. <laughs> yeah, but like, they're too busy killing each other off. But, like, they are, like, insectoid, and they have this weird hive mind where basically they only ever have one brain or whatever. So they're like, are do they actually have individual personalities that are differentiated from each other? Like, how how much, like, real people are they? Because I... It's It's unclear. We only ever meet that one who Marco calls wuss. Right. And I feel like we're supposed to, as we learned in the Horkbashir Chronicles, we're supposed to treat all of these aliens that we meet as being like people in their own right. But like the Helmicrons really don't seem like people. They seem like caricatures. That is true. They're just like, are they, is this really any worse than like teaching ants to fight each other? I was going to ask about uh, the Helmicron society. I was really curious about y'all's opinion. The fact that Marco uses words like nuts and loonies and like the crazies to describe the Helmicrons. And I know you guys didn't really care for that terminology back in book 17. So I was curious, like if you had any, uh, if you cared about it at all in this book. Well, yeah, to Grace's point, what's so wrong with like having a, you know, sarcophagus for your leader or whatever, just because it's moldy to us doesn't mean it's not beautiful to them. It was very judgmental. Yeah. I find the like crazy, insane, nuts, loony, like terminology, like less offensive when it's not talking about humans with mental illness. I don't know. Like you, Gray, do you, I think that's right. I mean, I still think that it's not, it, it's not terminology that has aged well. Yes. We yeah. are more aware of the ways in which that can be really offensive than we were in the 90s, like, as a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree that I I still don't like it, mm-hmm. but I'm less morally offended by it than I was when they were talking about people. Yeah. But I kind of wondered if it was similar to, uh, like I mentioned in the comment on on book 17 that I wondered if it was sort of that ideology or that people had back in the nineties is that the only people who would be in mental institutions were like the quote unquote extra crazy people, the people who were like, like the Helmicrons in this book, like the ones that you could never take seriously. And I wonder if it was like a sort of a mentality that we've really grown past to understand, to understand why like that mental, mental institutions are not for only one type of person and that there's Mm -hmm. a whole variety that goes on back there that's a really good point well i think you're right it's about i mean if you make that analogy what i was just saying about the helmicrons is like basically to put it another way the helmicrons are so crazy we shouldn't treat them as people right which is like where you're coming from gray is like obviously we should try and take their emotions seriously and like then what the animorphs are doing is kind of terrible but it's so silly and like so larger than life that it yeah. kind of fits into that more like, oh, we just came up with the craziest cartoon characters we could imagine, yeah. and crazy in the sense of like, you know, bouncing off the walls, which is like a problematic analogy. But no, you know. they, oh. they're <laughs> very silly. Like as as a 
as a character, I think it's obviously they were just trying to go very extreme and like as goofy as they could possibly be. And I enjoyed that, right? But I was... Right. But so then like, it is yeah. a problem to say like, oh, the Helmicrons are just crazy yeah. if you don't take them that seriously. I mean, yeah, I feel like I enjoy the I enjoy the range that this series has. Like there are books where this type of creature would then be examined really closely and like you'd get depth to them and stuff. Um, and this just clearly was not one of them. A in lot any of depth, way. though. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. like, but the depth accumulates mm-hmm. over the over the course of the. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you now. But I was frustrated. Like, we were getting down on Apple Grant in the Herbier Chronicles for um, not being creative in their, like, gender norms for other species. And here's one where it's not the same as, like, human gender norms. And I I have to say I didn't love it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also not that creative. <laughs> it's just not, yeah, that's true. Well, it's not that creative, and it's playing into certain unfortunate stereotypes, I think. Okay, so we don't actually... I actually think this could be an example of... This is maybe the best case scenario to address Gray's concerns and also turn it back on the Animorphs, is that something about the, like, translation between, like, males and females is not accurate. We don't know anything about Helmicron reproduction Mm, or whatever. mm -hmm. We just know that some Helmicrons are smaller than others, and they seem to be, like... This has this whole like size thing going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Helmicrons are pretty undifferentiated. So maybe they just have like a caste system, and it doesn't really have anything to do with gender in the way the humans understand it. And Marco's just kind of projecting. So something about the universal symbols of the thought speak, like when they're like male, calling for the one Marco calls wuss, it just translated wrong to uh, right to Marco. I mean, and right, right, right. So you have to kind of allow for some wiggle room there. But then it's more about, like, oh, Marco's projecting. It's like, oh, well, like, the women are dominating the men, and, like, we should... We, mm-hmm. didn't, we didn't quote it, but Cassie and Marco have this, like, just like in ours. Or, it is a great... Should I quote it? it? I mean... <laughs> but, it's an entire species of Rachel's. So then it actually is just more like, at the end, it's like, oh, you're, you know, overthrowing this kind of, like, uh, if they are just kind of, like, second-class citizens, and it's not, like, reducing them to their, their gender. It's like... Maybe the Helmicrons, they always are constantly fighting each other. So now they've just introduced yet another way that they can fight. Yeah, I like that. Reading it as, oh, it's like a species of Rachel's is like the problematic thing about it. So if they're emancipating a put-upon section of this species, fine. It just felt very like, we know what's right for you. It's this. And I was like, you don't. You don't. Um, Yeah, it can be hard with the stuff where it's treated incredibly lightly. Where you're like, okay, but even though you're you're treating this lightly, this is still the content you put in this. We need like a really grim, dark like uh, fan fiction about Wuss, where he's like <laughs> the last hel- the last surviving Helmicron after the, the, the last surviving male's male liberation. Oh man! Or no, like from like the Galaxy Crusher oh, yeah. or whatever Planet Blaster. <laughs> Him and the dead captain tooling around the universe. He's like, was it all worth it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, all the other Helmicrons are dead, so they're all his leaders. Also, oh, he's still. Put also, he has it. all of their memories in his head. Like, Whoa. there's so he's many like questions. He's like the super Helmicron. Helmicrons are super interesting. It's too it, bad. Wouldn't it be interesting if the Helmicrons are all small because of the way they're sort of diffuse, and the more you kill them, the more the other ones get bigger? Then, then they would have all <laughs> killed each other, and there would be one big Helmicron. <laughs> Probably true. Yes. Crushed yeah. under its own weight. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we want to talk about ninety stuff? 
Yeah. So did anyone else read the Bruce Coville series, Aliens Ate My Homework? I did. I did because not. I did not. This reminds me so much of yep. Aliens Ate My Homework because it has the same thing in the first book. It's also like a very loving kind of like Star Trek parody. But in the first book, a tiny spaceship crashes into this kid's bedroom, <laughs> and they're like little aliens with lasers zapping him, and you know, he gets shot <laughs> in the ear. And then eventually, they figure out the size mismatch thing, and he actually right. goes into space as a crew member of theirs. But the the final installment in the series came out in 1998, so I, I kind of wonder oh, okay. if it was on their mind yeah. in terms of like sci-fi <laughs> YA books. Um, but there are some other good 90s references. Mm-hmm. Marco says it's like Lethal Weapon 5. <laughs> Which, again, like Men in Black 2, Lethal Weapon 4 had just come out. And so oh, he's referencing a okay. movie that has yet to be checked. He references Honey, Honey I, I Shrunk, Shrunk the Animals. Which I love. I love how that yeah. movie. I remember going to Epcot at some point. I guess it would have been not too long after this and going on the like honey we shrunk ourselves ride where like you get all like it looks seems like you're really small. Honey, I shrunk the audience. Is that what it was? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Where the dog sneezes and like something sprays on you from the seat in front of you, and it's a little disturbing. <gasps> Why? I do yeah. that. Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> so gross. What's wrong with the world in the 90s? Thank you. I'm so glad you remember that. Oh my god. We had a really great. This isn't specifically 90s, but um, Axe says that is logical, unfortunate, but logical. Now he's Mr. Spock. Marco said. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that that comparison it. finally, yeah, got a. Uh, Made explicit. They talk about Snoopy and the Red Baron, mm-hmm. which Not feels really. 90s because, yeah. you know, Peanuts has since retired. But That's when I was reading it. But right. I'm, yeah. There was, this is not a 90s reference at all. This is a 30s reference. Um, hey, the Wicked Witch gets to be full size, and I'm down here singing We Represent the Lollipop Guild. I don't think so, says Marco. But a great reference. Especially considering at that point, like, his voice is described as sounding as though he'd been sucking on a helium balloon. <laughs> so what does that sound like? And so I just want to hear how that would sound. Hey, the Wicked Witch gets to be full size. If I ever get the chance to narrate that book, I'm totally going to do the helium version oh of Marco. Goodness. So hang on. If that's what Marco's voice sounds like, does that mean they're both incredibly high-pitched the entire time that they're small? Or would they not sound high-pitched to each other? Probably not to each other, because that's usually how it seems to go in shrinking movies. Yeah, but, well, but Cassie is already <laughs> shrunk at this point when she says his voice sounds what like... What would happen... Let's think about what we know about the vocal system, Jenny. If your <laughs> vocal cord muscles are proportionately stronger than their size... What will that do to your No, voice? but it's about the length of the vocal tract. So actually, your voice would be much, much, much higher. Right. But your ears are also, Cassie's ears are much, much, much smaller. I forget what we were talking about before, you know. Did we talk about 90s references? <laughs> 90s references. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the only 90s one that I saw was when they uh, were in their, uh, I think they were, they were chasing the Helmicrons or the Helmicrons are looking for Visser 3 or something. And it's, uh, they find the commercial strip with tons of fast food restaurants and muffler shops and banks and blockbusters. Ooh, yes. nice catch. Classic. This scene, this is not a 90s reference, but this scene has a sentence that I pulled out that I just loved, or like uh-huh. it's a little description. It, I don't know, it just suddenly felt like they got really into it for some reason, but the limo glided down the boulevard. Night was coming, and already the neon lights were lit. Reflections of golden arches and big yellow mufflers slid over the oily black curves of the limo. <laughs> The word mobile slithered like a blue and red snake. Ooh, yeah. Really evocative. We got into a noir novel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a trashy 90s noir novel. <laughs> it's 
Smithery's internal narration. He just lives in the noir novel. That's oh what God. it should have been in the in, in the Harbinger Chronicles. That's what we were missing. Smithery three is just always. As, in he's a hard boiled detective. Yeah. <laughs> oh, these Andalite bandits, see. <laughs> I knew they were trouble. She walked into my office. All four of her legs. Where are you pesky kids in that darn Andalite? No, I really want to hear his like noir description of Aldrea and the uh, Herkutcher Chronicles. Oh my oh, god! <laughs> no, I, I don't. <laughs> she had legs for days, four days. <laughs> okay, so clearly, giving to this laugh. Clearly, <laughs> so clearly, the Animorphs have uh, regained their U-Haul sponsorship. Because yes. there was more hauling in this book. Yes. Oh, and so, even some hauling butt. Yes. Very racy. The Helmicrons broke off and hauled butt toward my farm. There were some other things that were hauled that were not themselves. Some computer consoles. Mm-hmm. Cassie hauls a, fasc- a horrified, fascinated Marco with her at one point. Jake says, let's haul. Classic. And uh, later they haul along a slanted feather shaft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making it's up bad. for lost, lost time. They were, like, in some tough negotiations with the company, and they're like, no, this is important. We're going to make a deal. Make it happen. My favorite word was not the hauling, but when uh, when uh, Cassie says that they duck walked back from the toy pile and the little ship that was landed on top of it, like, I had no idea that duck walks were <laughs> a word that yeah. I could use. You know what word I learned from this book, which, like, I was ironically confused by for a while? Besides nacelles. And fungible. Yes. Besides those, stymie. Oh, yeah. I learned the word stymie. Oh, you hadn't heard that one before? No. I mean, when I was 13, they're talking about the leader. She, yes, of course she is dead. And why do you want your captain to be dead? How else can you be sure she will not make a mistake? That seemed to stymie, Marco. (laughs) And I couldn't really tell what it meant from context. And I think that for a while, I, like, didn't really get what it meant. I was was stymied. (laughs) Very meta. Yeah, it was very meta. Oh, man. I I can't wait for when they go to Helmacrona. It's going to be so good. Uh, you're giving away my prediction for the next book. <laughs> I think it's just Helmacra. Helmacro. Helmacro. Helma. Helmacro. Helma. Helmacro. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, there are some bad decisions made in this book. How true. The worst decision is, oh, some aliens with the technology to detect morphing even when the people aren't morphed. I know. Let's lead them to the Yerks. The worst decision. It Like, nothing comes of it. Yeah. But, like, that is a terrible call. That's a good point. I think, wait, I think it's a great idea. Well, I mean, if if they worked no, with this not. Earth 3. No, it's not. If Why? it were possible for them to work with this Earth 3 and then lead him to anyone else with morph capabilities, sure. Yeah. But, like. You're right. Yes. It, but, like, what if he stole their technology? I don't know that it's a, I don't know that we know it's a technology. And oh, not you a, think like, they just in, like in it's like a, it's like a, but I was thinking or you could more acquire that, a helmicron like an electrical capable you know like you yeah. have some some insects have a sense of like magnetism or electricity. what would have happened if they had acquired a helmicron that is an interesting question and then got reset to their normal size giant helmicron andalite size they could be a yeah like right. a human size but then helmicron would they, die? Uh, they probably wouldn't be able to move. But, like, probably it would be okay because this book doesn't pay that much attention to science. <laughs> That's a great question, though. They probably should have done it. You, you now all have a giant anteater morph for no reason. Somebody That's morph true. a helmicron. If you demorph a helmicron, does your mind go into the collective helmicron consciousness? 
Cool. But <laughs> if you morph a Helmicron, do you become part of that consciousness? Right. Like you do, do you for have the ants access the to it? Right. That would the, be then then Fister Three could get the te- could figure stuff out. Yeah. Or so, even the, like I was saying, the taxons. It was a bad idea. Not a great idea. I did Not want to note anamorph height wise. Oh yes. Cassie is a little over four feet tall, which is very very short. I, I was looking up average heights, as Rena did so helpfully. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was about my, my full height by eighth grade. Maybe not quite. Really? Maybe I was mostly my full height. Yikes. I mean, I'm not that tall. <laughs> but, like, yeah. almost everybody, it takes until you're 15 or 16 Maybe 15 to get or 16. Maybe I wasn't quite. But, like, a little over four feet is very, very short. She's going to be short. She's, yeah. So if Rachel is tall for any age... <laughs> And Cassie oh my is God. a little over four feet. <laughs> five foot nine and four foot two. <laughs> Maybe she's only five off. foot seven. But like, they're yeah, a foot and a half they're off. a foot and a half apart. That's adorable. So cute. Yes. The most mismatched best friends ever. I love it. Uh, Time to predict. Okay. Uh, Ooh. Look at that flannel. We're now looking at the cover okay. of yes. the extreme. Oh, yeah. Book 25. Okay. It's a marker book. He's morphing into a polar bear. The middle picture's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Um, it's kind of cute, actually. It's what? not as terrible as they sometimes are. Look at his hands. <laughs> are you looking at it, Rena? I'm about to pull it up. Oh, no. It's pretty bad. <laughs> okay, let me see. It's pretty bad. Thank you. His, his, his like, chin moves to the side in a really bad way. <laughs> yes. Why? Looked at it, looked at it scans, it actually is better. But if you take yeah. a close look. Yeah, the yeah. thing is, all of these, if you glance at them, it's fine. And then you take more than a glance and you're like, why? See, this is the, this is the thing. I just, you just, you just only glance. This is what I need to learn how to do. Um, What's the text? Okay, uh, the text is, so many yerks, so little time. Sounds like a helpful one. It's <laughs> horrifying. It's like, how many can we laugh up with our anteater tongue? Right. Uh, and he's morphing into a polar bear. Um, I don't know if I said that already. So, um, and it's called the extreme. So my prediction is that they are going to, the Yerks are building a new base in Antarctica. Nope. In the North Pole. <laughs> That's where polar bears live. And all I found in Antarctica. Sorry. Uh, they're building a new base at the North Pole. and Where Santa lives? Where Santa lives. <gasps> they're going to infest Santa. Santa. <laughs> is he going to give every kid a Yerk on Christmas? Yes. This is oh, my man. favorite prediction. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my, wait, wait, finish your prediction, and then I want to talk about how great it is. Um, and so they have to go to the North Pole to save Santa, and Marco is <laughs> morph into a polar bear in order to do it. Wow! <laughs> what do the animorphs get for Christmas? <laughs> Dead yerk. Oh, dark. Oh no! Axe is trying to give them a present for this human holiday. He doesn't understand <gasps> it. Everyone else is getting a yerk. He doesn't like feel left out. Leaves like you dead mice. <laughs> exactly. This is what the the subtitle text is about. How how is Santa going to deliver all those yerks all on Christmas Eve? Yes. It's a well known paradox. It's about yes, yeah, Santa's magic time traveling. Which reindeer is the controller? <laughs> Comet. <laughs> is Cupid extra sad because yeah. like their reindeer partner is a? <laughs> no, but this is amazing. This is like even better than the. What's in um, Area Fifty One plot from fourteen? <laughs> this is like some yerk has, inf- or they've infested some like five year old. <laughs> it's like 
Mr. Three, I've just got this intel about this human <laughs> called Santa Claus. And then the, anim- the animorphs just encourage them, and like yeah. leading them on a wild goose chase. Like, Santa's just beyond that next ridge. Oh, Wait, see, so are you then, saying Santa's not real? That's what I was going to so say. So Marco morphs into the polar bear and then dresses up in a Santa <laughs> costume. Why doesn't he just morph into Santa? <laughs> Good point. You can't... Santa's a sentient human. You need Santa's express consent. Why wouldn't Santa in. consent? Santa's off delivering presents. Well, they're not going on Christmas Eve, I assume. Are they going no, on Christmas Eve? They're not. Does Santa <laughs> deliver presents using Z-Space? <gasps> yes, definitely. <laughs> this is... That's the most happy you've ever been about Z-Space. <laughs> it's finally all explained. Now I can get behind Z-Space. No, uh, they infest the five-year-old, and they're like, this is perfect. We have one person who visits every human on Earth in one well, day. only the ones who celebrate sleeping. Christmas. All the ones who celebrate Christmas. And so they at least, yeah. while they're sleeping. So we're just going to give him all of the he's got a you know yerk pool over his shoulder and he's gonna go and deliver yerks to all the <laughs> so so here's a question if they want to infest people while they're why don't they just infest everyone while they're asleep they can like because the yerks are very bad at invading uh, things okay good point they've only had four years they, to work this out all right still which are better at invading things, the Yerks or the Helmicrons? <laughs> Helmicrons. <laughs> the Helmicrons are better yeah. at invading well, things? I don't think, maybe it's beneath the Yerks' dignity, just, and that's the problem, but I don't think you can carry one Yerk around in, like, a plastic bag and some sludge, like a goldfish. It seems clear that <laughs> they need not? to, it seems clear that they need to transport them in these mini pools, right? <laughs> It's not. It's not like you're fighting We're the discuss yurks. This later. It's not like you're fighting the yurks next to a jacuzzi, and then they're like, "All right," and they take a handful of yurks and just throw them at you, yeah. right? You know, like at least one of them is bound to crawl into your ear. Well, no, because you just cover your ears. I never watched the Animorphs TV show because it doesn't actually exist. Yeah, but I've answer. heard that on the Animorphs TV show, if such the thing did exist, that that they carried yurks around in like coffee thermos mugs and stuff like that, so they could infest <laughs> people at random times. Which seems like a very that smart makes idea. So much sense. No, it doesn't. What if you got the wrong cup? You would smell it first. <laughs> yeah, also, it's like, hey, want some coffee in your ear? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not like so you can infest people without them knowing they're being infested. It's just so you could carry the yerk in like a waterproof container. Oh my god. Tupperware, you know. <laughs> we, guys, we have to watch the TV show at some point. Tupper well, Yerk. Yeah, you can't. It doesn't exist. That will be a challenge. We'll have to make it we'll and then we'll watch it. it. Exactly. Yeah, we'll that's just sit around and imagine the TV show in our minds. I am. It's great. Uh, this will be part of our Kickstarter. Force <laughs> us to watch it. <laughs> if people Wait, give enough money, we'll watch this. That's that's actually really funny. That's really funny. <laughs> Like for every five dollars you donate to Anamorphology, we will watch an episode. It's like a stretch goal. Like, oh if yes. we make this much in our Kickstarter, we'll we'll sit down and watch yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, that's wow. too funny. Might be the only reason for us to start a Kickstarter. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm super excited for this book. As you Great. can tell by our responses, you're That's exactly correct. what happens. As always. Yes. Um. <laughs> I don't even remember what the prediction was about, except for infesting Santa. <laughs> well, it, before I, there was Santa, there was another prediction, but it wasn't very good, so we're sticking with the Santa one. <laughs> Which is very good, it's true. We should hear the other prediction, just so that we can, like, have all the possible... Oh, the other prediction was just that there's a new uh, base oh, in the okay. Arctic Circle. Okay. <laughs> yeah, high priority target. <laughs> Plus a lot of humans up there to infest. Well, because yeah. it, then it's easier to go down. You know, you don't have to go uh, around the Earth. You uh, can go down kind of lines yeah. of... 
of latitude. Right. Simpler. Simpler. <laughs> it's for transportation purposes. Yes, I, I understand. Their spaceships just find it easier. I'm going go back there. to my Santa prediction. <laughs> Can we get have you make a third prediction? <laughs> okay, uh, and the third prediction is um, uh, they're going back to the Yerk Pool, but this time the entrance they're using is in the zoo under the polar bear exhibit. Oh, nice. I like it. Ah. Very nice. <laughs> All right, that's it. All right. Rita, it's been so great having you. Thank you for coming. <laughs> this is... Yeah, this is super fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting. Is there anything that you want to um, promote while you are? Oh, yeah, you should plug your stuff. Yeah, so if anyone wants to check out my audiobooks, I have a few actual real books um, for sale on Audible under the name Rena Gale. And then if anyone wants to check out my Animorphs books that I've been doing just for fun, those are available for free. You can find them on Spotify um, or on iTunes or google play or any number of websites you can just search for anamorphs allowed and uh, i have the first two books and part of the third one hooray all right we'll put those in our uh, links in our episode notes all right that's about it see you guys next time for the extreme 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 <laughs>